I'm teaching in a village near the city of Hue, in the center of Vietnam. Peeling off the wall, there's a poster of Ho Chi Minh holding a plump, rosy-cheeked child. Every classroom in Vietnam has a similar portrait of Uncle Ho. Quel jour sommes-nous? What day is it? The whiteboard is propped up on a rickety wooden chair. The students are sitting on the floor, and there is no roll call. The fans are spinning, but don't do much against the heat. Comment t'appelles-tu? What is your name? My name is Axel. The lesson for today's French class is introductions. Quel âge as-tu? How old are you? I'm 18 years old. D'où viens-tu? Where are you from? In the classroom, my students do not call themselves Vietnamese. They proudly say they are from Hue, born and bred. The ancient imperial capital is the sixth largest city in Vietnam. It's a juxtaposition of the ancient and the modern. Elaborate temples where people go to pray are dotted among the flimsy shacks where they live, and intricately designed imperial mausoleums are next to buildings covered in neon signs. It's time for advanced conversational French. My students range from doctors to professors to university students. I choose a broad question to get us started, but make the mistake of asking, De quoi discutez-vous avec vos amis? What do you discuss with your friends? Current events? Politics? The class looks uncomfortably everywhere but at me. Okay, um, I keep probing until my students bluntly tell me, on ne parle pas de ça. We don't talk about that. I'm French by birth, but grew up in New York City. My mother is French and my father, well, depends on who you ask. He says he's French, but he looks Asian and won't tell me more, no matter how hard I press. I do know that he was born in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. I remember my grandmother cutting vegetables at a slant, my father putting spice in his food, but I also noticed what was missing, what was left unsaid when my grandmother hinted at stories. In my high school history class, I hoped to find out more about these missing few decades that not just my family seemed to be missing or not sharing. Number of Americans serving in uniform in Vietnam. What about the number of Vietnamese fighting? Number of American casualties. What about the Vietnamese casualties, military and civil? Average age of the American men killed, 23. This was my world history textbook? Like asking my father for details, finding out more in the classroom seems just as hard. But behind any of these numbers, there must be stories. People. This is Saturday in Saigon. The battle for the city went on. Vietnamese students must not ask questions. They're always like this. The war, well, it's in the books. It was told in its entirety. One must not ask questions. After class, I talk with Xu and Deng. They're teachers, so 
maybe they can help me figure out what went wrong. I ask what they were taught in school, and they simply say, I learned it like this and didn't think. It's true or not true, exactly that way or not. We learned to pass the exams, and there's not much left of that in my head. So, what happens to history? Politics is linked to history for the last two wars, against the French and the Americans. The propaganda billboards, the ceremonies, the memorials, all of these are reminders that this history is at the heart of modern politics and national pride. Or so officials insist. In public, there's only one story. Victory. It's not about education, then. It's about fear. History here is politics. And since you can't talk about politics, you can't talk about history. I found that, in general, people are afraid to speak in groups. In talking one-on-one, people open a lot more. They're less fearful. I speak with you because I trust you. I speak with my family and the people who have the same ideas as me. I don't say these things with everyone. With my colleagues in school, not at all, because most of them are members of the Communist Party. This reminds me of a military phrase I first heard in Vietnam that's always in the back of everyone's minds. Seeking to understand is starting to disobey. (laughs) Talking one-on-one seems to be the way around the official narratives. So here I am, asking about memory, not history. This is the princess Kong Tong Ryu. She is mischievous, walking around the room with the energy of someone half her age. It's hard to believe she was born in 1922, when Vietnam was still an empire. Her father was the 57th son of Emperor Min Mong and led a failed uprising against the French. Her home is 20 or so kilometers from Hue. I got lost on the way because it looks just like every other house. But inside, there's an elaborate altar to ancestors and a 96-year-old who has lived through the times that are missing. For the princess, the war didn't raise so many questions when it came. When I was born, I already loved my country, my fellow countrymen, because my father is royalty, and because when we entered the French colonial era, we lost the fight. We were forced to move here. So I was brought up in these circumstances, which is why when I was young, I already thought of all of this, of the fate of my country. Until the end of the two wars, she worked with General Jep, the military mastermind behind Vietnam's struggle for independence, first from the French, then from the Americans. (laughs) My heart pushes me, nothing else. I am a woman. No one pushed me, yet I did it. I am an unnamed soldier, a silent hero. She wouldn't speak further. (laughs) Here's someone who has lived what we read about in books now, but when I try to learn more, she answers, 
I cannot speak a lot of history because I have no education, so I cannot talk about the big picture. I know what the books say, what education is trying to teach. What I'm trying to find out is what they don't, what people like her have lived. When I ask her what she would want people to remember about her story, she interrupts. Let them forget me. I have nothing of value to leave behind. Forget? For me, she's saying history doesn't matter, because she is history. If even the heroes are to be forgotten, what about the ones whose stories are not told? In my father's family, they were not too far away from the 17th parallel. The 17th parallel was officially only a temporary demarcation line, but in reality, it was the border between North and South, the old Vietnam and the new one. My father, the youngest, served in the South's army as a medic. His older brother, the eldest, served in the North's army. So he left the family when he was 18 years old, and he served in the north of Vietnam. The mother's family, it was the same. How does a family or a nation move forward after something like that? There really isn't any conflict between the sisters and brothers. They've understood that it's each person's choice, and so we must respect that choice. Does respect mean forgetting? Well, for some, it means remembering only the story that suits their purpose. For Hue's inhabitants, the years from 1968 onwards were the painful ones. She's referring to the month-long massacre in Hue during the Tet Offensive. Some 80% of the city was destroyed. Civilians, officials, and soldiers alike were slaughtered. Mass graves were being uncovered for months afterwards. My mother does not want to speak of the war as a victory, but our government, they organize ceremonies celebrating the victory. A war is about more than politics. It's about people. The house of my mother was located near the citadel. She saw the shelling, the cannons, and the soldiers who killed the others. Many things like that. Even in a family, there is no single story. My uncle took the land route. He went through the forest to get to Thailand. And then, from Thailand, he went all the way to the United States. And he says that he will never come back to Vietnam. So, which stories get shared? She can talk about it because the attacks did not directly affect her. She was only a person watching. That's why she's able to talk about this. I soon find out that's not everyone's case. He hates the years here. He hates the government. He hates everything. He says that never, never he will come back to Vietnam. This sounds all too familiar. Han is one of my students, studying English in university. During the war, part of her family worked with the Americans. A soldier's mess was right next to her grandmother's house. 
and another pirate worked for the Vietnamese side. But she won't talk about it on the record because she doesn't want to take sides and because it's complicated. Complicated. The house next to them worked for the Vietnamese only, she tells me. Now they get a stipend, they live well. Her family, however, is not allowed to work in the government for three generations. Her grandparents, her parents, and her, though her children will be able to. I wonder, will they know why their mother and grandparents were not allowed to work in the government? All these people have children now. I might someday. So, what happens next? Are kids going to ask the questions we're asking now, or will we share what we struggle to find? Some have given this little thought. They're still young. I haven't even thought of what I will tell them. But maybe after talking with you, I will start thinking about it. For others, the path is clear. It is essential for her to know about her ancestors and what made her who she is. So, I made her a book with the stories of her great-grandmother. The war isn't over. It lags on. Because we're still deciding which stories get told. How? And by whom? I put on a helmet, hop onto a friend's motorbike, and go out in the city. Maybe some exhaust will help clear my head. Every house we drive past has an altar to ancestors, with photos of family members, incense, offerings of fruits and sweets, and bundles of imitation banknotes piled high. In many of the houses, the altar is the only piece of furniture, aside from a few plastic stools. They have pictures, but still refuse to tell the stories behind them. I don't even have photos to ask questions about. The remains of the war are everywhere. Boats made of scraps from American planes, the stars and stripes rusting away, the imperial city walls riddled with bullet holes, a bunker peeking over the ramparts of the citadel. So this is what memory looks and feels like. Everything is right here. We cannot hide this page of history. Jean traveled to Vietnam from France 20 years ago and never left. He didn't grow up around all of this, so he notices things some of the locals don't. And living here in Vietnam, this part of history is still very visible. It is present in everyday life, in people's lives, but also in their surroundings, in the landscape. The war is still here, present. There isn't a wall here from that time that doesn't have bullet holes or other marks. For him, the holes are worth mentioning. But the walls, like many living behind them, don't talk about that time. The present is alive and busy. And the Vietnam I grew up imagining is nothing like the Vietnam I am in. It's almost time for class, but there are no students here yet. Today, 
we're working on the present tense. I find a rag, a marker, and crouch in front of the whiteboard to write the first example of the lesson. Bonjour, je m'appelle Axel. There's still no one here, so I try to write my name is Axel in Vietnamese. The letters are familiar, but the accents, hooks, dots all feel foreign. I don't know if everything is in the right place, but it's not about getting it right. It's about recognizing that there is history, and then there are stories. <laughs>